Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, coming to you from the isolation of our homes. Moose meat, dog meat, taking care of each other, and playing with food. Hi, Joshna. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, Mirella. How are you? I'm well. Yeah. I'm well. It's a, this is sort of, it's a, it's a low key weekend of feeling good. And I'm excited to talk to you today. Actually, we got a bunch of interesting things to chat about. Uh, the, the world of food and drink does not disappoint. Um, and so the first thing, the first thing we're going to lead in with is a piece, uh, that I saw about a high school teacher in Alaska who, uh, decided to, to take a, a moose that he killed, uh, into school and have his students break the beast down. Right. He took a whole bunch of knives, uh, went in and walked them through how to break down that beast. Right. And the photos that you see are students at a desk or a tables with their knives, really focused Big on knives. butchering. Big knives focused on butchering this moose. And I uh, think the whole thing, I think it's delightful. I'm impressed completely. I think it's a lovely idea. Um, uh, I, I, I was very curious to see what, you know, how the students really felt. There wasn't, there wasn't much information about how the students, you know, what they felt about that experience, but mm-hmm. I was into it. Uh, and I, I'd love to see more of this kind of thing for sure. I, I mean, I don't know how much you know about what's involved with, uh, you know, taking apart a moose. But it's a I, mega giant event. Never yet. It's yeah, huge. I happen to have watched an entire video. Yes. Uh, you know, from from like start the very start which is i think the uh the trickiest bit um and so i was just thinking how do they even do that but it turns out that uh he just he took in i think it was just the four legs and they uh, they that down but it still took uh it was still 200 pounds of meat right and it still took them the better part of a day Right. I mean, it was an entire class, but they're not experienced. Right. So. Right. Of course. Those are not. Yeah, um, those are not skilled moves with the knife. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's so cool. I mean, first of all, the, this whole notion of this school that's all about hands on practical discovery. Yes. Uh, I, I want to know what else they're doing. Uh, me too. Right. Because they have this this I mean, h- hilariously generic, though, perhaps appropriate title of the world of discovery seminar is what they've called it right yes these these off the books kind of things uh which is i mean it's it's hilariously vague but like you i'm like what else are you guys learning uh because i think this is fantastic uh i mean listen i generally feel like if you want to eat meat you have to come face to face with the reality of what you're doing and if it means your hands are going to kill something then your hands are going to kill you know then that that really is what we're talking about here uh, to at least face the reality of your use of your power and position on the food chain like this, right? Uh, and so I agree to- with you, yeah, 100%. And that was, to me, a very interesting piece that was missing yes. in the article and just in the way that the teacher was speaking. And that might just be the nature of the curriculum, but um, so the people in this class were in biology and in right. Alaska studies. So he was able to justify this um because he had to get a special permit right to kill this moose for educational i mean you know hunting is highly highly regulated and and, you know especially moose you have to you know really they require crazy predictability which is uh fantastic um 
so he really talked about, you know, the learned anatomy, the biological right. piece. That's right. And he talked a lot about uh, they will learn, you know, this is a traditional thing to do in Alaska. Right. Thing. So, you know, really focused on the traditions. And the cultural and, piece there, yeah. You know, I think the piece that, that you identified, which was also the one that came to mind to me, is just as important. And the teacher did admit in the, the piece, he said that uh, when he first went in, there were a few students that he wasn't sure were going to be comfortable right. with this activity. Mm -hmm. He felt they were going to be squeamish. And I'm guessing that has to do with, you know, actually handling meat. Mm -hmm. Right. And something that shows up so obviously a dead body too, right? It's yes. one thing when it's like vac sealed in, in a cardboard case and that sort of thing but when this clearly looks like something that once was alive and you are going to tear it apart and there's blood and muscle and all that stuff uh that's a dead, very different perspective and uh, not to get too graphic but i, I watched a, a video they recorded yeah. the first bit of his class and the very first thing he did was snap the the feet off or yes. guess, are they hooves i guess yes most sure moose hooves sure and he you know he warned the class this the sound is going to be a little oh. distressing but it's interesting because it feels like that moment there was like a shutter through the class and yes. um if anything you know to your earlier point it really sort of grounded and focused everyone mm -hmm. to the task at hand and the students were talking about you know how they weren't sure what it was going to be going into it and right. they, you know uh really found it rewarding and the teacher was amazed at how you know focused they were, and uh, they really. Yeah, I was impressed, even just from the few photos that I saw. I didn't dig too deep uh, further than that, but I was very intrigued uh, by that, by how how into it these high school students appeared to be. Have you have you studied studied butchering butchering uh, a little bit? All? And in fact, when when he was talking about that first crack of the leg, I remembered having to break down a half of a pig. I got a, we got a side of a pig in, I think it was when I was working at the stop and I had to break this thing down into roasts. Right. But we, I had two very furry hooves that I had to deal with. Right. And, and there's that ball socket joint and okay. there comes a point where the only thing to do is to just, uh, just like the inside of a chicken thigh, right. Yeah. When you want to pull, you gotta, you know, you just Stop gotta, it. you just gotta do it. Uh, but, but the fact that I was doing it on something that was recognizably hoofy and furry and you know what I mean and still had some dirt on it from being in the ground uh and that I was like the back of my cleaver and given it uh I remember thinking to myself wow and my coworkers were you know sort of walking through the kitchen walking past being like oh this is a different look for the kitchen okay <laughs> <laughs> okay uh and I, I actually remember the rest of that like two or three hours in the kitchen became much more solemn after I had snapped the two, you know, the calves essentially of this pig yeah. uh, to have my way with it. It was really, it was quite intense. Definitely quite intense. I, I'm curious. I mean, I guess if you work in a butcher shop, it's much more rote and everyday for you, but that was emotionally a mega thing for me. I needed like a moment to myself. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the reason I was asking is I became very, I mean, I'm highly aware and I have been highly aware that butchering is a it's a skill. It's a, mm -hmm. um, but there was a lot of talk of the how well the students were following the bone, and it sounds like that's yes. 
uh, a critical yes. piece. I guess is that is that about just making sure as much meat as possible is it's it's the cleanest job, but also there's some wisdom to sort of let the skeleton of the animal guide you through your the cuts are sort of anchored on the skeleton of the beast. Because a, a number right. of the students mentioned that, and I and how they could really feel the bone, and they yes. were following and it. Then and then those I, are the like that was fascinating to of, me. It's very blind work. Lots of feel, you know, you do it by oh, feel it? and not by visuals because you want to get in and you want to get the tip of your knife to, you know, and then you give it a twist and then that'll pop out and this will separate this muscle from that muscle. Uh, but it's very, it's your, it's one hand and the other, right? And you're wow. guiding yourself through. So their ability for their two hands to work together or to, for the blade to follow the bone is a, is, is a legitimate skill. How cool. All I hope is that they ate some of it afterwards. They cooked a portion of it because a number of the students hadn't had moose meat yeah. before. And the rest was uh, ground and sealed and given to families in the community that uh, could use it. So, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. This is a win-win-win story. I love it. Speaking of meat, Joshna, mm -hmm. uh, I came across this really interesting video from BBC Korea. Okay. And in South Korea, dogs are traditionally eaten in the summer months mm -hmm. and mostly due to uh, Western influence. More Koreans are, you know, they're starting to keep dogs as pets and they're starting to feel uncomfortable with the idea of dog meat. Right. And they've right. been uh, pressuring the government to end this, this trade and they've been quite effective. Two of the biggest dog meat markets in Korea have shut down in the past three years. And so this video brought together, I guess, for lack of a better term, pro dog meat eating people and anti dog meat eating mm -hmm. people yes, from I, Korea yeah. and brought them together to discuss. And I think the, the other interesting piece to note that came out in this video, which is, uh, something that needs to be considered in the overall conversation is that the dog meat industry is not very strictly regulated in Korea. And right. that sort of came up as an issue, but it's a, it's a really interesting video to watch. We'll have it in our show notes if anyone wants to see it. Um, but I was wondering what your reactions were to it. I was, I thought it was very, I liked the way they positioned it. It was really interesting to see, right. There were clear opinions on both sides. People, Right, uh, talking about uh, tradition and many elders, you know, who are still alive today, for whom eating dog was just as regular as chicken and pig and cow, um, and some younger folk as well mm -hmm, who felt the mm -hmm. same way. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. The thing that I that was particularly interesting for me was that the impact of the Western, like the fact that there was in fact shame and a bit of internalization about an image connected to this Western influence. Uh, I, my first thought really would have been uh, a pushback. And then like, listen, you do what you want to do. We're going to do what we want to do. Uh, yeah. They, they know, said thanks. it made them feel barbaric. Right. They really felt. I mean, that. that's a very carefully chosen very, word. I agree. Right? I agree. I was very, very surprised um, at that. I didn't, I didn't think that that would land as intensely as it seems to have. Yeah. What I, th what I thought was particularly cool is in the end, they came to an interesting middle ground, which was really live and let live. They were mm -hmm. both very open to, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And if you want to do it, do it. 
and focused and said their energy is, as I mentioned earlier, more on the fact that the industry does need to be better regulated. So right. as long as it's regulated and it's done well, then uh, I, I found it interesting that this is the, the conclusion that they came to. Uh, also, like I have to say, there was this one dude who made, uh, who said that he, his distinction about this was about the kinds of affection that humans feel for dogs versus pigs. And I, I just don't think that that's a very solid thing to stand on, right? I think that I think there's a lot of fluidity uh, and human affection uh, just in general. Um, but the idea that we wouldn't eat, that we would eat a pig because nobody loves a pig the way somebody loves a dog, uh, for me that doesn't that does not hold a lot of water, right? And and I remember way back a few years ago, at least here in Toronto, there was an issue with horse meat being served at a French restaurant. Yes, at La Palette. And La Palette. And people people lost their minds. Uh, like, you know, equestrian folks, I think, were probably at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. People lost their minds about the idea that that horse was being served anywhere. And they, like, then they were, like, blind, you know what I mean? Closed ears to the idea that there's actually a very long-standing culinary tradition around horse consumption. And I remember I, I got called for an interview about my opinion about this at the time. And the thing that I, that I remember saying, the thing that came most instantly out of my mouth was that the only difference here is that we don't cuddle up and brush, you know, pigs and cows and chickens. Uh, and if we did, we may have a different opinion about eating them, right? It's just because we have the intimacy uh, that, you know, that, that emotional connection to a horse that you don't have with a pig, a cow or a chicken that makes it cool. I, I, Agree with you 100%. That really struck me when he said that because he said, you know, dogs are cute and cuddly mm-hmm. when compared to pigs. And the whole notion that the cuter animals are worth saving while the less cute animals are okay to eat based on this, what is essentially an aesthetic well, judgment. Totally. And such a like, subjective notion of what is pleasing, right? Visually, anyhow. And I find it especially upsetting because guess, guess who gets the short end of that stick? fish right, right. Which is the animals that oh, most need our protection that are most in, in right danger now. exactly um yeah so that was the other thing that was very interesting to me was the positioning of the segment right because they called it uh dogs as pets versus dogs for eating yes as if right. they're two they're mutually and exclusive you can't do one you have to do one or the other and you can't, you can't you know, love an animal, but also Eating. be okay with yeah. consuming it, which to me really promotes the notion of raising cattle as being, you know, cold and cruel. Whereas as far as I know, a lot of people who raise animals really love their animals and yes. treat them very well. So it, it just speaks to how detached we are to our food. And, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's hard to acknowledge that, you know, when you're biting into a fried chicken sandwich, you know, an animal died to give you. Yeah. That. That, and it's that. almost like people want to detach the two. So they'd rather, yes. um, I don't know. It's just, this is categorization. Well, and there is, there, there's, um, there's a Netflix television show called Master of None. Uh, and it, there's one episode on this where the father of one of the, the, the guys in the show talks about his life in China as a kid. And he had a pet chicken who he loved dearly, right? And one of the sort of rites of passage that his father put him through when he was like eight or nine years old, some young age, was that he had to kill this chicken for dinner 
Yeah. Right. And the chicken was his friend. And as a, as a 60 something year old old man recoiling, you know what I mean? Recounting the story. You can see that the trauma is still with him, you know, from having been eight or nine years old and being forced to kill his, his beloved pet pal chicken. That's intense. Yeah. It's mega. Right. I had a, I had a similar experience when I was seven, except I wasn't asked to kill it. Right. Uh, It was a rabbit that I was, uh, I was living at a farm on a farm at the time and the rabbit was not well. Okay. So I had taken it under, put it in a little box and I was taking care of it. And then, you know, one day it was no longer in the box mm-hmm. and it was on the plate. There it is. Um, um, there, I think that we, um, it's weird. Every, and, and the minute uh, the comfort of our lives and the choices about our lives get confronted, that's when, we start recreating measures and, you know, and gauges like that. It's like, Oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't need anything that I'd come up with. When I was like, that's a completely subjective thing. And that part of the argument I find a bit irritating. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, there's n- no reason to make people feel barbaric for yeah. traditional things that they, it's lots of xenophobia, lots of othering, right? It's uh there's no, in fact, oh my God, this is so interesting. I just, this, I've just remembered watching an episode of Family Feud that was in South Africa, mm-hmm. right? And stay with me on this tangent. The question was, what is the most favorite part of the chicken, the most popular part of the chicken for South Africans, right? And it was Steve Harvey, the American host, yeah. was doing a show, I'm guessing, in South Africa with South African families, mm-hmm. right? And the, the, fir- the thing that was so fascinating was that the answers that all the family members were giving were like, chicken feet, chicken hearts, chicken gizzards, you know what I mean? All these sort oh, of the, 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 the gnarlier bits. Yeah. And Steve Harvey was like, who are you people? What kind of place is this? How are you eating chicken? Like, and it was just, I was embarrassed for him actually at how narrowly he understood what was really going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that you have to, in fact, grow an entire bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do this and that and that a lot of people around the world it's not only just chicken thighs and drumsticks and breasts that people you know that people are into uh it was i was it was it was it was a bit hard to watch i have to say it also calls to mind that which game is it james corden who does that table of you know, quote unquote disgusting foods and it's like a truth or dare where you have to think, either yeah, answer yeah, the yeah, question yeah. truthfully or eat this again quote unquote repellent food and every time i watch it i think you know some people eat this, this is exactly. it, some of them are a little kooky they make them up yeah. but a lot of them are just things that probably some people eat and like for dinner that night before watching that yeah show. exactly uh, uh we have to be much more careful i think about the way we talk about this and the messages that accompany uh those opinions So Morella, I uh, one of the things that I have been busy with uh, during in our pandemic times is getting some is uh, helping a neighborhood organization that is really focused on getting good healthy food to senior citizens, many of whom are living solo in apartment buildings and quite vulnerable as a result. Um, mm-hmm. And just you know, thinking through the ripple impact of the pandemic has been an important one, particularly around food security. Um, but there's a piece here about some beautiful folks uh, in a similar kind of grassroots organization in New York uh, who are really who have they just wanted to take a moment to shine a light on the people that do go door to door to deliver these meals and that who have been supporting these largely seniors um, and other sorts of vulnerable folks. Um, and I have to say, 
in the midst of everything that's happening in the world right now. I loved hearing a story about people just being really good and connected to each other. Right. This it warmed my heart. I really, I really needed to hear it. Um, yeah, and this is New York where things got really bad exactly. for a while there. And to hear that these people were, you know, unmoved and yeah, and making and sure that they things. were still delivering, you know, one of the things that really struck me was, you know, they were making sure that they stick to their schedule so that these people could have the food and time because they had to take it with their medication right. at a specific time. Oh, just, the, just the awareness the of that reality, yeah, and attention, and it it also just made me stop and think because you know we've all been isolated and it's been stressful I think for everyone but Mm -hmm. just to stop and think being in that very vulnerable age range potentially having underlying issues yeah it would be terrifying to leave the house yeah and and you may just not even be able to right the body won't move right whatever it is I mean there was there was a photo in the piece uh, of a pulley system that somebody had created, right? Where you see you see a package of food being yanked up by a big string to a you know second or third floor building, um, and just the idea that this these super grassroots networks uh, exist this way, right? So many of the reports in the story were that the, they know the sound of their knock or the footsteps outside the yeah. door, and all. it's so sweet. Um, and when I uh, I drop off soup and baked goods that I pick up from my chef pals around the city um, and building roots to is the name of this nice organization here in Moss park. Um, and one of the things, Oh that yeah, that's your Friday run, right? That's my Friday run. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And we just, I just finished week 16, right? It kind of blows me away that the first time I did it was with these dead quiet streets with a winter jacket on. And just this last week, I traded in uh, oatmeal muffins for a, a little basket of strawberries that I left on someone's porch. Oh, lovely. Um, but the thing that really struck me and every Friday when I see these nice people packing these bags for these folks is that grassroots, grassroots networks of people who care about each other uh, is the only way that our future, you know, that's, that's what our future has to be, right? It's the fact that we are in this together and I care about how you are, you care about how I am, and that's how we're actually going to, you know, move forward and be healthy and have a thriving community. It's it's super inspiring. Fridays are easily my favorite day of the week as a result. Yeah, and on that note, I also love that this shone a light, and it really supports seniors who want to remain independent, right? Because yes. these are people, of course, the worst, the people who are always need their food delivered, but this is a whole new subsection of people who under normal conditions would just go to their local um, senior center for their meals and, you know, who want to remain independent and are probably normally fine. Mm -hmm. And I love that this supports them in their choice. On a completely different note, Joshna? Yes. I came across this very interesting, I think I can go ahead and call it a gadget that has I been think so. developed. I think so. It's called We Scream. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is uh, they're, they're marketing it as a musical ice cream cone. And it is in the shape of an ice cream cone, but it's, you know, it's plastic. It's got wires in it. Right. And then you put your actual cone and your ice cream uh, in it, as far as I can see. 
And as you eat, it makes sounds. And from what I understand, as if you're, there's someone else who has one nearby, you can interact with other cones. And this right. is being marketed as, I quote, a digital upgrade that stimulates happiness and playfulness <laughs> and provides a social eating experience. Right. This, it is pretty okay. kooky. It's totally kooky. But I, but to your point, I love the first line that really struck me was a playful social gastrosonic experience. Mm-hmm. Gastrosonic was new for me. Uh, I get it. But it was wild. So there actually is a video of people eating these ice cream cones, right? So they yeah. have like a regular ice cream cone and then that's sitting in this, this juiced up gadget. And so somebody takes a bite of ice cream and you see the music notes ensue. And then they sort of volley it over to their pal, right? And the, 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 the architects of all of this are interviewed and they talk about how it's this like incredible new way for people to interact with each other when they're eating ice cream. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so great is that they, they address it as though this is a thing that people have been asking for. Yeah. <laughs> As like, finally, I can now, oh, right. It was super, it was super cute. I can make I sounds like, while I eat. That's what I've always can, wanted to do. I can really connect with my ice cream eating partner, uh, which I have to say, uh, the, uh, one of the things that I really noticed was that the, I, I felt pressure uh, to consume ice cream at a certain rate to, to, to be able to, you know, to play along with somebody else. Oh, you think? Yeah, well, I, I was like, I sort of pushed myself on this thinking and mm-hmm. it came to the idea that eating, for me, eating ice cream is actually something that I savor. Yes. Right? For me, I take, it's a moment, just me and the ice cream. I'm really, I, I spend time thinking about how it melts away on my tongue and crunching the little bits and whatever it is. So the idea of me eating something and then waiting for somebody else's response, uh, these people were literally chomping through the ice cream cone. That's true. Uh, Right. And I was like, but they were reporting that they were enjoying it more. Interesting. They were. And in my mind, maybe, maybe these people just don't know how to eat ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we've, yeah, maybe we just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I had a few thoughts. Well, first of all, they, they did, like you said, they made it sound like this is going to catch like on like wildfire. And they're also talking about maybe uh, cocktail applications, like in in cocktail bars, maybe I, I imagine it would be the glass. That would make music as you're drinking. But imagine being in an establishment where everyone has one of these. Yeah. What a cacophony. And for, and yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's like, you know, that one person on the subway who's, you know, watching a YouTube video without headphones or whatever. It's just like too much, too much noise everywhere. Way too much noise everywhere. That's a bit of a barrier. Yeah. Um, And although I would definitely love to play, you know, something that I think would be fun at home to play with. Uh, there is a little piece of me that can't help but start thinking, like, why do we need a gadget to be able to just put down our phone and enjoy our food and interact with the person in front of us? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Like, you know what I mean? I'm, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, sure we can, and they 3D printed that cone, and that, I'm sure that's exciting. Um, but I don't know, like, is this a thing that anybody was asking for? Yeah. Also, uh, think, you know, how long would it be exciting for? I feel like if I did it once or twice. That would be enough. Right? would be like, hey there, meet you down in the kitchen. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's make some music with our ice cream. Like, I don't, I don't, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I need to open my heart to it, but 
I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. And I think, I think that they, I think that there's a, a disconnect here with the way people enjoy ice cream. I think ice cream is a more savored thing. I don't think we chomp down ice cream. Right. Right. I think we, I think we take a slower time with it uh, and to consider it because honestly, when you have good ice cream, the feeling of that dairy fat melting away on is not there's nothing quite like that right i i like to spend time just with that and i'm not i'm not interested in making any noises uh yeah uh and, or even if it's music right even if it's music uh that's not it's not for me. if you're enjoying our podcast please support us at patreon.com slash hot plate pod hot plate is part of the frequency podcast network please consider leaving us a rating or review it helps others find us you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.